Son, come here. As you know, I ain't got long left. Getting old and all. Dad, you're 51. I, I, I want to give you an heirloom before it's too late. This is one of my most prized possessions. Why are you holding that piece of cardboard when you say that? Back when your mum and I first met, we'd play board games every night. Wow, sounds great. Are you giving me a piece of cardboard? Aye, from a game we'd play back then. I know it doesn't look like much. It's a piece of cardboard. But the days we spent bonding over board games were very special. Okay, I mean, I get the sentiment, but what about the first edition Fellowship of the Ring you've got on the bookshelf? Wouldn't that be a valuable gift too? Oh, no, that's going to the Urukai Freedom Trust charity shop. Trust me, back in my day, this was all the rage. This card, Underground Sea, was worth a bit. I acquired it in remarkable circumstances. Holy crap. Yes, I'll tell you all about it. No, I just looked up the Underground Sea. Dad, this is worth like £3,000 online. Son, this is a personal heirloom I'm offering to you. To pass down the family line, and you're going to sell it. No, of course not. Good. I am going to take a very high-quality scan of it and sell fakes. Ah, uh, that's my boy. Let's go. Live from the Treehouse Board Game Cafe in Sheffield, UK, you're listening to the Treehouse Podcast. I'm Matt Turner. I'm Patrick Lickman, and our guest today is Treehouse Game Guru and local astronaut Joe Bernard. Today on the show, we rival the shipping forecast with our discussion of Century Eastern Wonders. We have a chat with the creator of the mega game Bring Them Home. And we engage in some harmless, family-friendly world conquest in Small World. All that and more on the Freehouse Podcast. Hello! And welcome to the Treehouse Podcast. Thank you all so much for joining us. This is the Treehouse Podcast for October. No, November? October. I know the month. <laughs> you know the months. October 2018. Uh, our second episode ever. We had a nice reaction to the first one. People, yes. People seem to enjoy it. If you listen to it, thank you. If you didn't, go back and listen to it, because otherwise nothing we do in this one's going to make any sense. Yeah, it's a definitely a sequential. Like, there was a lot of, of, of plot reveals really that came out Really heavy continuity. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, Lots it's... of characters who, who you're going to need to know what they do, <laughs> what their deal is. And what, what their secret objectives are. Exactly. Um, by the end of the week. By the end of the year but we're introducing a new character with this uh, with this uh, <laughs> uh, episode which is our friend and colleague joe hi joe hello thanks for joining us yeah it's a pleasure thank you for having me no uh really the pleasure is it's all ours okay <laughs> <laughs> so it's been a packed month for uh for us down at the treehouse we have uh had a lot going on because mm-hmm. it's been our anniversary the the first birthday of the treehouse board game cafe uh, happened uh during september and uh we all had a pretty great time. Yeah, uh, yeah. it was okay. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Joe, Joe loved it. Um, yeah. We had a lot of people down for the for the birthday party, of course. Um, uh, an evening of fun, revelry, and notably uh, big buffet and yeah. some. Lots, well, evidently not enough food. No, so. where we 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 really cleared that thing out. <laughs> I, I will say I was partially responsible. I yeah. did. I well, did I, have three. I, have eaten, I yeah. might have eaten yeah. too much. Didn't realize food. all the stuff we're gonna. Just have a, ruin everything for you. Well. It yeah. was delicious, to be fair. Joe, as well as being one of our game gurus, is, is one of our chefs. So he made that lovely buffet. Yes, me and Finn slaved away. We played a lot of uh, uh, a lot of uh, big games over the course of the evening. We had the meta game, which is a kind of conversational game in which you are uh, given cards with which you can start debates. As well as our Clask uh, tournament and our Quarto tournament. Uh, Quarto is like a little uh, tiny abstract game. 
Uh, it takes about 10 minutes to play, which is why it was good, because we could get a lot of games in. But there is a lot of thinking going on as well. And we also had the quiz, right? Yes, the first uh, instance, uh, the, the genesis of the Treehouse quiz when it ha- uh, happened, uh, Ben Eckersley, our fantastic quiz master, brought his A game. Yeah, I, I have no idea still what a cryptic crossword is. <laughs> I still don't know how it works. It's it... been explained to me twice now, <laughs> but I... Uh... So maybe and, and some and somehow one of our other, other colleagues managed to get the answer also without knowing what a cryptic crossword well, they was. Just, they just guessed it. They just guessed it. <laughs> wow, it was, it was Theo, wasn't it? Yeah, you just wow. sort of guessed the answer. Um, yeah, the the quiz I think is is going to become a, a regular feature. So we'll talk about that a little bit in the upcoming um, stuff. So if you missed that, don't worry, uh, you will have your chance. Uh, yes, yeah, so that we had the birthday. That was a qu- all the quiz stuff in that. We also had a fantastic uh, another first for the for the treehouse, which was our first mega game. Yes, we uh, had Bring Them Home, and if you uh, attended either of the Bring Them Home uh, days that we we, 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 ran, we ran four games in total over the course of two days, thanks so much for coming. Um, the whole experience was uh, incredibly elaborate, incredibly extensive, uh, and it all centered around uh, one astronaut who was uh, locked away. We locked him in one of our, uh, one of our front rooms, which uh, became a temporary spaceship. Uh, yeah. and then they used else. a lot of foil. Everybody there was else a lot had of to, foil on that door. A lot of alu- aluminium foil. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and actually, Joe, you were one of our astronauts for the uh, Sunday morning game. Is that right? Yes, yeah, Sunday morning. How how did it go? Uh, it was great fun for me. Anyway, I mean, I'm not sure um, about everyone else. I think they had a <laughs> I think they had a good time. But, yeah, um, they <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. Okay, because I mean, I, I was I was stuck in the room for three hours. I had no <laughs> idea what was going on. And you, you didn't talk to anyone. Right? I didn't talk to anyone, and they didn't tell me what was going to happen. Yeah. at all as well. But, and and uh, your game was really just try to uh, work out who you can trust from these notes that are being passed to you. This very limited information. That's right. Yeah. So throughout the game, they were passing me passing me notes, and I was writing notes back. And this was the sort of best part of it for me because I could write notes to them for free, and it didn't cost me any action points. Mm. Um, and I could just spam notes to whoever I wanted. You wrote a lot of notes. Uh, I wrote, say, I wrote of all the four astronauts. I think you wrote the most. Well, I was writing notes, just saying, "Can you write your handwriting a bit better?" Please? <laughs> you know, you know, I can't read what you're saying. <laughs> So uh, so that about does it for events. Yes. Uh, we're going to do the upcoming events at the end of the uh, podcast. But for now, we'd better move into our first topic. Matt, you're very excited about this one, aren't you? Uh, I <laughs> am indeed. The uh, Century, uh, the, the Spiced Road, uh, is one of my favorite games in our collection right now. Um, and, I wonder uh, why. Is it because I'm really good at it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's got a sequel. So the success of Century Spice Road is, is fairly well documented. It's uh, it's it's nearly in the top two hundred games in um, Board Game Geek. Uh, it, it it is in the top two hundred games in in the strategy category. Um, it is well loved, uh, fairly universally for being quite a light, family friendly um, kind of Euroish strategy game where you're trying to assemble various combinations of spices uh, through deals that you're you're kind of all vying for and trying to get before your opponents. Yeah. And um, uh, it's it, it did very well, and I love it to bits. Yeah, we all think. I think it's pretty yeah. terrific. Yeah, it's um, now, Emerson Matsuchi, the designer of Spice Road, has released the long-awaited sequel to Spice Road, which is called Century Eastern Wonders. Not only does the uh, the do the mechanics of Eastern Wonders um, play on uh, a kind of a more complex version of the the uh, mechanics from Spice Road, but also a completely unique thing being that with this sequel, you can combine the two games uh, to create them into 
a third completely separate game. A kind of hybrid. Yeah. Yes. I was impressed. I was very impressed with how they smooshed the two games yeah. together. The games both work on the same economy. The idea that you have four kind of ranks of different spices um, and that you can use various uh, techniques and, and uh, various in, t in Eastern Wonder, various islands will upgrade or change um, those spices uh, one for the other in a, in, a, in a true kind of trading style. Uh, very much like um, I'd compare it to Splendor a little bit in that you, you, you need to know what your eventual end goal is. Yeah. Uh, now, Century is a little bit more dynamic. We, um, talk, we talk a lot, about, a lot about killers in the board game hobby. We talk about games <laughs> that kill other games that, yeah. that, that uh, render the previous game irrelevant. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about a, a killer uh, later on, actually. Uh, I have a theory that Small World is a killer. But uh, Century, the big debate is, is Century a Splendor killer? Uh, Splendor's obviously uh, a fair bit older. Uh, Century only came out in 2016. Yeah. Um, but Splendor's been around for, for yonks and yonks. Uh, and in that one, you trade uh, cards in order to make diamonds. Yes. Uh, or, or different, uh, jewels. different special jewels. Yeah. Um, they share a lot, but... If you I ask me, think... yes. Yeah, you think, you yeah, think If you, you ask me, oh, I... Spice Road itself is a Splendor killer. Yes. Eastern Wonders is the same, but for completely separate needs. Yeah, it's it's a different game completely to Splendor, Eastern Wonder. Yes, yeah. The, what what I'm trying to get at with this whole uh, a sequel thing yeah. is that you learn certain uh, mechanics in Spice Road that are very that help you a lot in learning the mechanics of Eastern Wonders. Yeah. Eastern Wonders is quite, it's not super complex, but it's a medium complexity Euro. Learning Spice Road does help you learn Eastern Wonders, and which is adds to the complexity. From a cafe perspective, that what that means is that if I see a family who has enjoyed Spice Road in the past, I will absolutely suggest Eastern, Eastern Wonders, no matter what level of complexity that family uh, has enjoyed previously. If Spice Road was the most complex game they've ever enjoyed, even just because they enjoyed it, I would give them Eastern Wonders, because I know that they have that stepping stone that, that buoys them up. You know, they know most of the mechanics of this game already when you um, when you go into Eastern Wonders. But it's so different. Mm. There is a board and you're moving yeah, around and there's a different it, yeah. economy and everything everything's kind of different. But because they know about the trading up, uh, the upgrading of cubes, the trading for this, for that, um, it'll be so much easier to learn. And that's why I think that it's very, very well described as a sequel. You don't get to say that very much with games. But then again, you're right. It's, it's, it's a board game. So it has a board. And you're moving your ship around uh, around the tiles, which mm. and so and some people that might appeal to some people a lot more than just saying, "Oh, this is a card game." A lot where... of a lot of people who want me to recommend a game for them in the cafe. A lot of the time, I will hear people ask for uh, a a a typical board game, uh, by, by which they mean something with a board. And it's funny, I'm still working out. Uh, because What's good for that? A lot, yeah. a lot, a lot of our job is working out the request behind somebody's request. We talked about this actually on the last podcast. Topic, yeah. Uh, but uh, when somebody says, uh, "I want a, a game with a board," I think they want something a little bit more traditional, a, a little bit more uh, uh, um, uh, typical of, of the games that they know. But I would still recommend Eastern Wonders to them. I would still have them give it a go. It is um, difficult, but I don't think even without Spice Road, I don't think it takes too much working out. No. Um, and we have a little bit of evidence for that, which is that we just played uh, From Sand to Sea, the, the hybrid game, yes. with Jenny, uh, um, who was on the last podcast, yeah. who has never played either game. I mean, of course, she's a, she's a, a game guru. She, she, knows her, <laughs> she knows her stuff. Yeah. She's not a customer who, who uh, maybe well, has different needs. But without playing either game, 
she was able to really easily pick up the mechanics of both, and by the end of it, we figured out it would be so easy for her to now play either of those games. Yeah, she'd already... Yeah. She, 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 From Santa C is both games. What did you think of From Santa C, Matt? Um... I actually re- loved it, but then I won, so it's it's difficult to sort <laughs> of like separate those two, right? Well, um, me- well mentioned. Well mentioned. <laughs> yep. uh, but uh, it is more complex than either of the above, right? It is. It is. Uh, to it gets to the point of you maybe have almost too much choice. There is a lot to do, yes. and only and you still feel like Century Spice Road because you only do one thing on your turn. That's one of the big benefits of spice road and uh, and eastern wonders is that your turn consists of one thing right and so it's yeah. constantly going around uh, the circle you're never like oh come on when's it my turn again you know more often you're like it's my turn already yeah, yeah. exactly and which is like, my oh favorite my feeling in a board game what am i gonna do <laughs> yes. um uh, and and because of that you've got all these options and it's not kind of you know uh agricola like oh my god like this is i i don't even know how i'm gonna start no um it's that de- you have these definite objectives uh, in the corners of the board, these deals you want to work towards, but your plan really comes from you. And when with them um, from Santa Sea, you have the Spice Road cards and the and the island deals from from uh, Eastern Wonders, and it does get to the point where you're like, I'm not sure. There's a fantastic interplay between the two where you can sacrifice one of the cards to get to 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 basically make your ship go further. And it doesn't feel forced. That's the really great thing. Yeah. It feels natural. Surprisingly natural. I mean, it helps that there's a there's a, a combined art style there. Yes. Uh, uh, to an extent. And a com- combined e- economy. Yes. The the economies both work the same. You know, you'll see islands that have the same effect as a, as a card uh, in, in, in Spice Road. Right. Which means that you're never, like, worrying about, oh my god, is this one better or worse than that? They they are balanced between the two. No one's feeling like, well, islands are obviously better, or cards are obviously better. They actually both serve different functions, and I think that's that, that's actually very admirable, the fact that these two games fit so nicely together. Yeah. Alright, I think that'll wrap it up for, for uh, Century Eastern Wonders. If you want to play that, it's available on the, on the cafe shelves now. Uh, and if any of us are, are there to teach it, uh, we'll be more than happy to do so. Yeah. Because we love it. So as we mentioned at the top of the show, we took part, or we we hosted, a mega game over the weekend as part of our, our anniversary celebrations. Uh, we hosted Bring Them Home uh, from Treehouse Games. And we have one of the founding members and the games designer uh, of uh, Bring Them Home with us right now, uh, John Gracie. Hello. Um, so we thought we'd talk a little bit about, uh, go, go into a bit of a deep dive about exactly what Bring Them Home is, uh, uh, how it works, because I think there's probably lots of people who, who are interested in the idea of mega games, having read about them online and stuff, but maybe don't know much of the specifics. John, how did the, the initial idea to do Bring Them Home come about? Right. So I had a feeling this question was coming up and the uh, the short and unsatisfying answer is I can't really remember. Um, I was <laughs> I was in Sydney at the time where my fiance lives and we were we were living there for the year and I didn't have any friends. Um, and so I did a lot of kind of gaming events and lots of building of games to try and meet people, essentially. Um, so I built a, a little escape room in my uh, fiance's mum's house, like a little kind of weekend thing using her like spare. She had a spare couple of rooms at the back. Um, mm-hmm. and I did a lot of role playing, got into D and D a lot. Um, and at some point I read the book of the Martian and then, cause the film was coming out and I watched the film as well and kind of all of this role playing and escape room stuff. And I got really into shut up and sit down the, the board game site and watched a lot of their, 
um, reviews and got really into kind of board games. All of this kind of mashed together. Um, but specifically, I got really excited about Watch the Skies, which is the um, which is a big kind of what I think of when I think of mega games. In that it's kind of uh, for those who haven't played it, it's a kind of model UN um, where everyone is on, is representatives of different countries and they're trying to deal with international disputes. Um, but there is also an alien faction, so it's kind of model UN plus XCOM, and um, everyone is trying to deal with all the stuff that's happening. Um, whilst the aliens are doing their own their own stuff, but but crucially, the thing that excited me is that everyone on each team has a specific role. So you have the president of the country who kind of oversees all the action, and then you have the head of military who plays the military game. You have the um, foreign ambassador who goes to the UN and debates stuff, and then you have the head of science who does the science game. And um, at the start of each turn, the president goes, "Right, we need to achieve these rough objectives, like make friends with Russia or." bomb uh, Great Britain or whatever and then the various players go off and do their their things um, and that really excited me because it's the kind of the, the chaos of it because you know you'll start the turn and the president will go all right so we really want to make friends with uh, with the with the Russians this round for example but then you're in you're in the UN and someone passes you a bit of paper going oh so the Russians have just sent a spy to uh, to your your country and you're like oh have they now Russian foreign ambassador what do you think about that and uh, it's more than possible that the Russian foreign ambassador has no idea this was happening because the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. And so, mm. you know, <laughs> high upper echelon debate has ended up just completely embarrassing everyone. And, um, <laughs> and you, you can't possibly kind of understand all the systems because everyone is playing their own game. And um, that really excited me from a kind of chaos perspective and from a sense of like, we're all trying to do our best here. But due to communication, which I think is the kind of lifeblood of a mega game, due to failings of communication or or too much information being passed back and forth things have gone horribly wrong and it's hilarious and chaotic and exhausting and um i wanted to do something with that um and then i watched the martian i think that is the <laughs> and an interesting like uh point you raised uh, in there is is like the the idea of um you know the lifeblood of a mega a mega game being that uh, miscommunication there being too much information for any one person to have um, do you think that's what defines a mega game as 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 different from uh, other role playing games or, uh, or or board games? Oh God, I don't know. I feel like I'm getting in a lot of trouble with hardcore mega gamers because I kind of built a mega game by accident. I didn't. I kind of wanted to build this experience. It was definitely based on Watch the Skies, which is a mega game officially. But and, I don't and know. And the, hard, the hardcore mega gamers are out there, right? That the, they exist. Certainly, I f- I feel like that. So there was in the in the reviews for Shadowman Sit Down of, of Bring Them Home. They mentioned that um, it was nice to play a mega game with Bring Them Home that wasn't all about combat. And um, there was a uh, mm. lots of people were kind of uh, wanted to to kind of draw attention to the fact that there were lots of mega games out there that aren't focused on combat. And so I think it has a reputation, like for for fair or not, that a lot of mega games are kind of hardcore military simulators that are all about kind of reenacting yeah. a. Um, a kind of specific battle like you know we we look at the war of 1812 and everyone is meticulously like playing sides that are kind of historically accurate and that is certainly one of the perceptions of mega games um which i wasn't aware of at the time and um certainly lots of people shared examples of mega games that weren't about that but um what i what i think is interesting about mega games is is the kind of for me they intersect with so many things that i'm interested in so they they have an element of role playing they have an element of board game rules they have an element of um what else am i forgetting kind of theatricality in the way that we do it we kind of have a little bit of set and props um yeah. and all of those things mash together and you can kind of engage with each element 
uh, in an ideal world for me as much or as little as you like. So if you're really interested in the role playing, you can really take on your role as a NASA scientist and you can dress up and kind of, we had someone at a previous game dress up as Ed Harris from Apollo 13's, uh, his character <laughs> with a full on waistcoat and everything because he wanted to embody that character. And, um, and you know, uh, I like the fact that if, say, if you're the press faction, which we can talk about in a bit, you have a much more kind of actory kind of performy vibe um but even then all the decisions you're making are linked to mechanics so you don't have to panic and be like oh i have it's my job to make this game run you do have a clear set of instructions which is apply uh, essentially the press and bring them home gets to hand out victory points at the end of each round based on who they believe has done the best job of the three player agencies um and so i think like kind of plugging mechanics and theme and role playing and board gaming all together into a slightly chaotic mess, but controlled chaos is is for me what was exciting about Bring Them Home. Whether that makes it mega game or not by by kind of strict definition, I don't know. Um, but it is fun. Um, I suppose I should clarify for listeners the the kind of overall structure of the game without without spoiling too much, so that people know what we're talking about. Um, so we're in an alternate nineteen seventies where the the kind of global powers are tentatively unified, like kind of Alan the Martian, with with space travel as their kind of overall objective so we're still in a kind of cold war space race era but everyone is kind of on the same page being like we'll send this astronaut who represents all of our countries and all of our hopes and dreams um and then something inevitably goes wrong with their ship and so our goal is the th- so most of the players will be members of three space agencies which in the version you played were russia nasa and china um but i think we're going to change we're going to change china to the european space agency all the most of the players will be members of those agencies and they have their own objectives which are to uh well everyone wants to make sure the astronaut who is a separate player gets home safely through by passing them information um but each of the agencies wants to be the ones who get the credit for doing this so this is where the press faction comes in who are also players and so at the end of each round the astronaut makes their move decision but they're they're on a kind of grid of five by five and they're going to move to a space that they hope is safe based on what the agencies have told them um and then if they do well the press will have more victory points which are called prestige in the game to hand out and if they do badly they will have fewer points so this is a game where you can play very badly but if you schmooze the press they might still give you the one point that is available that round so it's kind of I wanted to allow for room for kind of very solid mechanical play or very sly kind of talky play, you know, and you can win either way. So how long ago was it that you initially uh, back in Sydney came up with the bring them home idea? So I built the first prototype around September, October 2015. Um, and we did a we did a pen and paper version in, in our flat and just invited friends around and that went really well. Um, and then we so we did a we did a festival a gaming festival that I imaginatively called Game Fest um, in <laughs> in 2015 and we we basically we found a theatre space that had a free week and they were like do you want to rent it I said yes this is the perfect chance to kind of tie a ribbon around all the things I'd been trying to do that year um, and so that was the first kind of ticketed paid for bring them home where people were like you know paying money to do this thing and in the three-ish coming up to three years uh, uh since then has the game gone through uh, a lot of changes or has it stayed mostly the same it's really interesting that actually because in in its fundamentals it actually hasn't changed much at all um partly because i haven't been running it with enough regularity to really like fine-tune but also it's kind of in a, in a good way i think it's quite a woolly game in that a lot of the mechanics are buried for the players so so every team has their own moderator 
um and and patrick you were you were the nasa mod i believe um right and so the moderator comes to the the head mod which is me and usually someone else in this case my colleague peter and um they go right nasa wants to spend their points this round on this this uh thing that they can do one of one of a few things um and then we as the moderators say that they've done that but the players never know what the rules around it are so they don't know if they've if we've rolled dice, if there's been a, a kind of decision between the mods and the and the head mods. And so it's a bit more flexible. And I think it allows us to kind of, without breaking the rules, it allows us to kind of give people the most exciting experience that we can um, without kind of feeling unsatisfying, hopefully. I remember, and you can tell me to cut this if it's a spoiler, but I remember one player uh, on my team who wanted to do something that he didn't want the rest of the team to 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 know about. Uh, but in order to do that, he needed to spend some of our action points to to do it. And so he asked me, um, you know, he sort of pulled me off to the side and asked me if I want to, uh, you know, do this thing, I need action points, right? And I said, yeah. And I and he said, but I don't want anybody else to to get them. How do I do that? And I came up to, I think I came up to Peter and I, I, I told him what was going on. And he said, well, he better steal some action points then, hadn't he? Yeah. And I'm pretty sure nowhere in the rules it says you may steal action points from your teammates. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a perfect example of allowing the players to feel emboldened and go like, okay, I reckon this thing would be really cool. And because there is a, like, that, for example, there's a press briefing at the end of um, each round when the press kind of says what ha- has happened in the round for the astronaut and gives out their victory points, prestige. And in one mm. of the games... Uh, one of the players wanted to kind of speak in the press conference. I think it was the player from Russia or possibly China. And uh, so they got up and did a little talk about, you know, how they, you know, really respected the work of the press and, and kind of essentially just were a bit sycophantic. And then whatever the other team of Russia or China who hadn't done it then got up as well and did a little speech because they didn't want to look bad. And then no. we were about to get on with the meat of the press briefing. Then someone from NASA came up because they didn't want to look bad. And it was this really fun kind of organic thing. And it was very like everyone knew what they were doing. They were just sucking up. But it was uh, it's that, those kind of emergent role playing moments that you don't have to do at all. They're not in the rules, but you kind of hopefully set up a situation where people do feel like that. They feel comfortable and it's within the game world that they can do it. Do you think that your um, feelings on how the experience for the players should be, um, has that changed since you started running the game? That's interesting. I, I don't think so. Like my my goal has always been to get as many people playing games as possible. Like I think my um, like my overriding ethos when designing games is just I want people to have fun with it. Like the 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 thing of Werewolf Live is to get people up on stage playing Werewolf who might normally feel a bit uncomfortable with that. So I do everything I can to like in in Werewolf I come in with a cloak and I've got I do a stupid voice and everything and it's all designed to make me the kind of silliest person in the room so everyone else is like oh i don't feel stupid as that guy i guess i can have a bit of fun with this character um and i've even like played it with my grandparents who are like you know 89 this year and they don't play games but like my goal is to find games not that are kind of dumbed down but are focused on accessibility um and i think a big part of that is is kind of allowing people to play how they want and so I think like I don't think there is a like a wrong way to respond to the game. I think as long as you're engaging with the fiction of it, like the only wrong quote unquote thing would be to be like, "Oh, I don't want to play this. This is stupid," um, and no one's ever done that. So I think like it's nice that some people get really like into it, and some people kind of sit back and focus on the mechanics of it a bit more. Um, so I don't think there is a. I don't think I've been too surprised. 
Um, a lot of Bring Them Home is theatre, and obviously Werewolf Live is 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 a, a theatrical production. We we talked about it kind of being the intersection of theatre and gaming and all these other things. Um, in in theatre, it tends to be that the larger budget you have, the more the more spectacle uh, you can put on. But Bring Them Home has incredible production values. It has all these really heavy boards and and, and these nicer uh, slate pieces and, and and things like that. And there's there's uh, in in the full production, there's an actual ship that the uh, the astronaut can can go into. You you built a ship um so i I, i've seen what you can do with with a with a a perfectly good budget what would you do with bring them home if you had let's say a nearly infinite budget how would you how would you change it what what what's your dream such a delicious question um (laughs) i would i mean i think the 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 venue can be is is the kind of one of the most important things that was why it was it was really nice at the treehouse having so much support from you guys and i really felt like you understood what we were trying to do and it was, wasn't just like, Oh yeah, we'll chuck you in the corner and just run your game. It was like, I felt like everyone was part of it and that's a huge thing. So like having the budget to pay, to pay people to do it would be great. Cause at the moment it's kind of me and my colleague Peter often run it. And um, we, are, we rely on people to be mods because it's kind of, it's ideally like in a couple of games, staff at the location we're, we're doing it will be mods and then they'll get to play the next day. Um, so like being able to pay people is so important. And at the moment that's hard to do. Um, but I feel like getting a really, a really good space that you can kind of make your own because it's great doing it in a board game cafe. And actually I felt like everyone around was really accepting the fact that we were running around being noisy idiots. Um, it was really cool, but in an ideal world, you don't bother anyone else. You get a bespoke space. Um, and the plan was at one stage to, uh, to set it up as a kind of permanent installation in London. Um, which we'd still love to do. So actually, that would be the thing. So we'd we'd find a we'd find a venue where Bring Them Home runs every night, and um, we have like a really nice set where you come in and you're in an HQ, and every table has their own like nice kind of layout, and it's not just like the flag and the documentation. It's uh, you know really nice props, and all the secret objectives are, are gorgeously designed. Um, and then the ship that we had would be you know similar, but I think even more robust. But Honestly, I think what I like about the design is that we focused on the bits that we could make good. So I, I hired a designer friend of mine to make to design little logos for each of the agencies, and the headed paper is all really beautifully designed. And um, so, like that was where we put the money because we could we could do that. We could print we could print nice things. You know, I I bought some nice nice coloured paper and had this nice design. Um, so we've we've put the we've put the money in the things that have the most impact. And like the astronaut comes out in a spacesuit. It wasn't an expensive spacesuit, but it's it's kind of figuring out what the areas are that have the most impact. Um and really interesting in how much like costume and prop allows you to role play. So in um in Werewolf Live, we just get everyone to wear silly hats just because my uh, fiance's mum is a costume designer. So we had a bunch of hats when we were playtesting it in Sydney. Um, and so we just got them to wear hats and it's really nice because it makes everyone feel like they're part of this group and everyone feels a bit silly and is happy to role play. So, uh, if I did have an infinite budget, it would be more of what we've done already and like a bespoke space and we'd have a really nice bar that you could go to afterwards and, um, you know, nice, like, yeah, which is going to be called the space bar. I've already decided. And like, yeah, nice, just kind of nice decorations, nice set dressing. But I think the the, the core of it, I'm really happy with. Uh, great. So um, that that about does it. Um, I want to to let you uh, plug w- whatever you're doing uh, next. What, what's coming up for you, and and what's coming up for the rest of the Treehouse Games? 
Um, so I'm doing the next Werewolf Live we're doing is in is on the 8th of October in London. It's for the London Horror Festival. Um, and we, we are pivoting Werewolf Live from an audience show, which we are still doing to a to a kind of comedian panel show. I forgot to mention to you guys, actually, I spent I spent using comedy before I got into games, um, which kind of influences a lot of the like silliness that, that happens in these games. But um, we are now doing Werewolf Live as a kind of panel show with comedians playing and some audience as well. And on the second of November at Streatham Space Project is our is our other Werewolf Live. Um, bring them home. We are hopefully doing it at Vault Festival next year, which will be around February time. We haven't confirmed the dates yet, and that's also in London. That's in Waterloo, um, and we'll also be doing some stuff with Drafts Board Game Cafe and lots of other board game cafes. After the massive success of working with you guys, we um, we have been reaching out to lots of spaces. So. If you are uh, a board game cafe owner and you would like to run Bring Them Home or Werewolf Live or another game, uh, please get in touch. And how can they get in touch with you and how can other people uh, uh, follow what, what you're doing online? Yes, yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at John Gracie, J-O-N-G-R-A-C-E-Y. But our website is playwithtreehouse.com um, for all our games. And we're, we're constantly developing new games. Um, the main two that we're working on or that we were working on are uh, Mega Game of Thrones, which obviously we will not call it that because that will be massively uh, super sued. Yeah, yeah um, <laughs> but a kind of fantasy warring houses thing, um, and Epidemia, which is a more like global epidemic pandemic style, like governments dealing with an outbreak. Um, you can sign up to our mailing list at playwithtreehouse.com and we'll let you know when our next uh, Bring Them Home is on, and also. Uh, people often want to play test our games and so we'll let you know when the next one of those is coming up fantastic thanks so much for joining us john thanks for having me um so to move on um every month uh, as you might know we like to bring our guest in to spotlight uh, a game from the treehouse's collection that they really love um and this month joe you've brought uh, small world with you yes yeah it was my first game that i ever bought uh well relative to modern board gaming. I yeah. was 19 when it came out, so I got it when it, when it came out, along sure. with Dominion, uh, incidentally. But um, uh, yeah, it's well, it's a area control conflict uh, game with multiple races and multiple different powers. If you want to take over a territory, you've got to have uh, more pieces of cardboard, more tokens than the, uh, as there are on the actual uh, on the board. But the trick is with the game, there's so many different rule breakers and there's so many different powers that break this 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 base rule. Yeah, like a lot. Yeah, and, and the combinations as well because there's... Um, I don't know how many races there are. There are a lot of races and there are a lot of different powers. A whole lot, yeah. Maybe yeah. maybe a dozen races, maybe as many powers. Yeah. I, I mean, so, and in a game, you're probably not going to see all of them, right? You'll probably see no, maybe six, all. seven, eight uh, exactly. most. But, um, yeah, I mean, one of the reasons I picked it was... A lot of people come and ask me, I like Risk, what, yeah, the, the game Risk, what uh, What do you recommend? And so I think what they mean by that is they want a game where there's a there's a map and you have units and you put them on the board. They don't just mean the concept of chance. No, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. Lowercase Risk. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, exactly. Like, you know, they've enjoyed fighting other people with yeah. with units i mean i'm, I'm not going to say dudes on a map because I, I don't like that term yeah it's, uh yeah you know you, you sort of know you sort of know what i mean and so I, I i do go to small world a lot of the time and i say this is you know an area control game you will be fighting each other and it will take about two hours i explain that there's very little luck and i yeah there, there's very one little. dice in the game 
Yeah. Which is one of my only criticisms. I feel like you don't need to have that dice. I mean, be, I, I don't like be, look. It could kind of be abstract, couldn't it, if you didn't yeah. have that dice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's no hidden information. So the, the, re, the reinforcements die, which you use whenever you want to take over territory, but you don't have enough uh, troops left. You yeah. get to roll the die and see if it adds enough temporary troops to, to help you out. Yeah. Uh, but it is kind of luck based. But thinking yeah. about it, like that's that actually reduces the you don't you don't roll that very often. Maybe no. you roll it once per turn, basically. Exactly. Um, if, it, if you even if you even do that, yeah. and actually that helps with the transition from risk. Mm. Yeah, there's none mm. of the kind of incessant die rolling in in risk where you know I've got four troops, you've got one, but you keep rolling so well and taking out all my troops. Yeah. There's, there's nothing I can I can do about it. Uh, it feels a little more fair in that way, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt, you played it for the first time uh, just yesterday. I what did, did indeed. I actually really liked it. I'm, you, as I've said before, and I'm sure you'll hear over and over again. I am not a very a big fan of area control stuff. I'm mm. not a great fan of conflict. I like high interaction games, but very rarely ones where you it, it is literally just how many troops you have versus how many I have. Um, I like to sort of like mess with people. I like to take the resources out from under them, that sort of thing, um, rather than necessarily uh, directly fighting. Yeah, having a have just moving my bigger army onto that smaller army's place. But Small World, um, particularly for me, was very very good in the same way that we've just described with Eastern Wonders in that when I lost something, I wasn't worried that I'd lost it because it wasn't like I was sitting on that one resource and worried how am I going to be attacked on that one resource. I was constantly thinking, what's my next move? Where do I pivot to? Where do I sort of try to uh, extend my reach now? Because at, at any point, the, the armies you have, the, the resources you have, you can bin them. You can just say, well, my current thing is going, my current uh, empire is going into decline. You can flip it all over. It becomes basically a kind of a ghost of an empire. And you go, right, I need more resources. What am I going to do? Bin my old empire and select a new one from the list. Yeah, bring, bring out the next one, the, 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 the rampaging fishmen or whatever yeah, the, the, the dragon master rat people yeah, like yeah. um the, the 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 spirit giants like there's all sorts of different <laughs> like and that is always a, a kind of a a race power combination you clunk them together and they become whatever it is like uh um they have that kind of prefix yeah. uh, the diplomatic sources uh, sorcerers um sources <laughs> yeah just uh, plate people um <laughs> talk, talk about the art, art style yeah i'd recommend it to families as well um uh, maybe not so, so young uh, so younger children but um yeah it's family friendly with with the art while also uh, you know the heart of it is you are attacking each other yeah there's a touch of humor uh there there, there might be a little bit of uh you know uh, kids are kind of uh with kids games you want to be uh careful that they're not going to be games that are prone to hard feelings but yeah small world doesn't have too much of that you can take somebody's uh race out but they're always going to just get another one a lot of games like that you have a central base where you start a central sort of very important area where you need to defend whereas in small you don't no. have that and and, that, and that's good because a lot of those games if you do get that area taken over then that's going to ruin the game for you you're probably going to lose that game again like um, risk where you're you're uh, dwindled down to just a few territories and you've still got to keep on going yeah, yeah. over and over I, I guess small world is also uh, fairly characteristic of uh, an improvement in that sense which is that there aren't that many territories uh, relative to something like risk it is a fairly small world yeah <laughs> oh i just got it 
Um, but in Small World, uh, you are muscling in for space pretty much all the time. Uh, and so it doesn't feel too bad to lose some territory that you had. Because like Joe says, you don't have a, a central territory, which I really yeah. like. And, and when you get a new race, you're vying for different territory most of the time anyway. So uh, some races need to take over mountains or get more points for doing so. Some races get more points for taking over, you know, farmland or, or yeah. various other tokens. So, yeah, you know, when you change races, you aren't really, you don't have to defend certain areas yeah. anymore. Okay, know. yeah. Um, well, I, I definitely, if, you, if you're thinking of, oh, hey, I, I don't play enough area control stuff, I think that's a, it's a great game to, to come and try down the, the cafe. So um, thanks, Joe, for bringing that, that uh, through. You, you are the reason I have played this game, um, <laughs> and I enjoyed it quite a lot. So um, uh, big nice recommend from us, I think, in the room here. Great, so that about does it for another episode of the Treehouse Podcast. Yes. Thank you all so much for listening. As ever, if you have any feedback, you can uh, email us at contact at treehousesheffield.com or you can just come into the cafe. One of us is, is there most of the time. <laughs> so you can just come and chat to us. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we're in there quite a lot. Yeah, but we not, do other things And as we're well. not always working. <laughs> <laughs> but we do other things as well, right, Matt? What do you do? I do a podcast. Um, I yeah, do we an- know we're doing it right now. I know I do another podcast, a second podcast. It, it's called Lives of Pitch Podcast, where we pitch the best films that'll never get made. We ask for your uh, suggestions on uh, movie titles, and then we try to uh, make the plot and castings and marketing strategies for that uh, film. It's very silly fun. I recommend you uh, go and go and take a listen to it. Until the next show, we've got the upcoming events that are going to be happening at the Treehouse over the course of October. Uh, we'll start things off right at the end of the month with Halloween. Uh, our Halloween uh, celebration. We're doing something very special. There's going to be a spook, I think. There's going to be at least one spook. Uh, for our role players, for our D&D players, I uh, have been teasing this for about a month since, <laughs> I, since I had the idea. And I can excitedly finally talk about what it's going to be. Uh, we're going to play Tomb of Horrors, which is the legendary deadly dungeon that Does was created spooky. right back of the dawn of the, uh, the the original D&D game. Gary Gygax, I think, penned this. Uh, he did. This... The, the creator of D&D, Gary Gygax, created Tomb of Horrors basically to uh, screw over his players yep. who were getting really good. And he thought, right, I'll show you. This is going to be separate from our, uh, our Sulkin uh, storyline. Yep. Um, you can create a brand new character. Don't bring a character you care about. <laughs> no, um, you can create a brand new character. We're going to have all the details about uh, the level of the character as well as uh, uh, other uh, game uh, details on the website where you can also buy tickets. Um, those will be available right now. So join us on the 31st and do your best to survive. Um, on the 14th of October, we have coming up uh, an evolution of our across the board uh, events, which is uh, now being renamed to Social Gaming, uh, where you can come in, mix and match and play pretty much whatever you want with um, uh, a bunch of other p- people who aren't in closed groups. Uh, the social gaming event is like perfectly uh, suited to meet f- meet people and to uh, even afterwards arrange uh, time to, to come and play board games with them later. And we've got a new tool on our Facebook page to, to help you out with that. A brand new Facebook group has been set up, uh, also called Social Gaming, at the Treehouse. You can get to it at facebook.com slash treehouse social gaming. Yes, uh, and finally... Last but not least, we mentioned the quiz earlier. Yes. Uh, Sunday the 7th of October, you can come down for our, the, the, the first open and public Treehouse quiz uh, with Ben, our, our fantastic quiz master, uh, for that challenging uh, experience we were mentioning earlier. It goes from 7pm to 9pm. All right, well, that about does it. Yes. Great. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time on the Treehouse Podcast. 
You've been listening to the Treehouse Podcast featuring Matt Turner, Patrick Lickman and Joe Bernard. The producers were Matt and Patrick and the theme tune was by Custom Phase. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the speaker and nobody else.